Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Monday, December the, uh, the 18th. As we like to do on Mondays, we'll be chatting with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Bill, how are you? Welcome. Uh, reasonably fine, Silvio. Reasonably fine for a New Yorker watching the city slide and slide and slide. But um, <coughs> personally, except for a small cough, doing pretty well. There's a lot of rain in New York today. Isn't oh, there? tremendous amount. And yeah. trem we had our emergency Midland radio went off all night with yes. warnings about uh, flooding. And we can get flooding in our area, not in our immediate area, but within two miles of where I am in White Plains it is the country. I mean, it's it's rural. And right. and some of those, the roads that are built to go through it were built 80 and 90 years ago. Wow. And they don't have the kind of flood control they have today. And they never did much about it. Right. Well, let me begin with a couple of uh, on this day in history type topics. Uh, one is one of your favorite topics, and that's Glenn Miller. And the other one is the Battle of the Bulge. Both of these almost the same week, which is what yes. makes it interesting. Uh, Glenn Miller's plane disappears. To this day, he's still missing in action, as I understand. That's exactly right. He 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 had, a, by the way, a fear of flying, so it's it's especially poignant. He was forty years old, uh, had made his name in civilian life as a great band leader, and then the leader of an army air force band in uh, in uh, Europe entertaining the troops uh and he i think he achieved the rank of major and he was due to fly over to france and uh it was a very bad day the weather was not particularly good he was flying in a single engine plane which always scared him i don't think it was equipped with the latest radio equipment he took off and they never saw him again yeah. there have been all kinds of theories as to what happened um the most likely apparently is that he was flying over the English Channel and, a, and a, a group of British bombers was returning on a failed mission to Germany, failed in the sense that they could not drop their bombs for whatever reason. They couldn't see the target or whatever. And the theory is that they they were not supposed to land with bombs. It was very dangerous. So that they, they dropped their bombs into the English Channel. And the theory is that one of the bombs hit Glenn Miller's plane, which was flying at a low altitude. That's the best so far that they can do, but they do not have any direct evidence. Right. I saw a documentary <laughs> one time that pointed that out. Yes. Uh, and in the documentary that I saw, uh, there was a young man in one of the British planes who saw, a, he says he saw a small plane go by. He yes. didn't actually see the bombs hit him, but he he recognized the plane. I guess he he could identify the what kind of plane it was, and yes. that coincided. But again, that's all you know a theory, and yes. everybody's dead now, so there's not much you can do about it. But I guess I, it'll it'll remain a, an open case forever. I guess. Well, unless somebody comes up with the money to send equipment down, and uh, one of those uh, exploratory forces, the like the kind that found the Titanic. Very expensive, but they could search for it. And the plane is probably still in, in some kind of condition where you know you could recognize it as a plane. And I don't know if there would be any human remains left, but uh, they, it is possible to find it. I mean, the, right. the, the English Channel is not that wide. Uh, that's assuming he is in the English Channel. If that theory is wrong, he could have, the plane could have crashed in France somewhere. Right. Yeah, that's the other theory, too. He could have actually gotten to France and crashed uh, in land somewhere. Yes. Uh, so who knows? But 
but he was quite a quite a musician. I know my father was a big fan of his. Oh yes, quite a musician, and even down in Cuba, uh, he had a huge following. And my father tells me about this. And uh, I mean, there were radio stations that would play his music, that kind of big band, big band music. And my father was a huge fan of of Glenn Miller. And then, of course, the other big, big thing this week, Bill, 1944. So that's uh, what, 79 years ago, uh, 79, right? Yeah, 79 years ago was the Battle of Bulge, which is as as you were saying, turned out to be a very bloody war for the United battle for the United States, Bill. It was completely unexpected. Um, the uh, Battle of the Bulge began, I believe, on December sixteenth, uh, nineteen forty-four. Christmas Christmas was coming up. It was expected that the war would end reasonably soon because uh, we we were advancing through Europe, uh, and all of a sudden, on a weak part of the American line, which was uh, staffed essentially by green troops, troops they had never fought before. They were put on the line as basically guards. And uh, out of the blue, and it was out of the blue, came an enormous German force. Uh, Omar Bradley, one of our leading generals, said, where did they get this stuff? We, we, there was another case of bad intelligence, as the Israelis had, uh, on October 7th of this year, right. where they were caught completely by surprise. Uh, they call it the Battle of the Bulge because the Germans penetrated far enough into our lines to form what looked like a bulge. And their intent was to get to the sea to, and, and basically uh, break the, uh, the northern part of the Allied armies and uh, perhaps bring in forces of their own and at least prolong the war. Uh, they came in, some of the Germans were wearing American uniforms, which, which made it very, very difficult for the Americans. They had to, if, if they were caught, they, they were interviewed, they were asked who won the World Series. You see that in the movies all the time. But eventually, we got it together. Uh, Eisenhower was informed, he was in Paris when the Battle of the Bulge began, and he, he, he called his people together and he said, I don't want to see any sad faces. Uh, this, this is an opportunity. And they formed a strategy and counterattacked and our forces prevailed, but after ghastly losses, something like 20,000 men killed in six weeks. Wow. Yeah, I saw a documentary one time of a very young soldier. His sister was talking about him. What a young soldier uh, who had not had a lot of battle experience who was killed. The movie that I saw about the Battle of the Bulge was with Henry Fonda. Yes. the A movie... Uh, that I saw, and that was a great movie, actually. I don't know how true it was, but it was a great movie. And at the end of that movie, the Germans run out of gasoline, I think. Yes, they, they well, they, they were down to really the bottom. They ran out of gasoline for their tanks. Uh, they essentially ran out of men. And, and in the end, we had the, the, the power to defeat even that size German force. I mean, they had essentially no air, air force left. Uh, and their their troops really did penetrate. I mean, it it was touch and go for a while, but in the end, we we simply had the 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 overpowering force. And then it was all the way into Germany. Germany surrendered on May eighth, so you can see that that the the war was within five months of being over. Uh, and um, I think though that when Eisenhower made the decision at the end of the war that the Germans, I'm sorry, that the Russians 
would be allowed to take Berlin. That was the great prize. I think Americans have this vision of American troops marching down the great streets of, of Berlin in victory. But Eisenhower, just having seen the war, knew what it would cost in American lives. And he said, it isn't worth uh, worth 100,000 American lives. Right. He allowed the, the Russians to take Berlin. It created some complications after the war, but I think he made the right decision. Yes, uh, I think so. Well, let's get into some of the current events. Uh, this is a story that is fairly new, but the White House has decided, or somebody has decided to remove a monument from Arlington Cemetery. This is a monument that was eventually erected for, uh, or put there for reconciliation, they called it. They wanted to reconcile the country which I perfectly understand why they would want to do that. And now they're removing that document and a lot of, I mean, monument, and a lot of people are very angry with it. One, because, you know, this, I guess, is being done by executive order. Uh, no one has actually voted on this. Yes. And, and two, I, I don't understand what is the point of constantly going back to something that happened 160 years ago when you would think that they, it would be a different attitude. You would be like, hey, you know, this is part of the past and leave it the way it is and let's honor the men who died on both sides, Bill. Yes, well, that, that, there was a part of the cemetery that is devoted to Confederate troops. And there is no, there's no call to have them removed, thank goodness. Uh, but the monument to Robert E. Lee has been there an awfully long time. It is a monument to reconciliation. No one, is, no one wants to go back to slavery. And I agree with you. I think, first of all, I think that any decision like that involving a major event, major part of our history, should be made by a commission, not by uh, some executive order. It should, it should, uh, testimony should be taken, uh, debate should be heard. Uh, th this is this is just nonsense. It's an attempt to rewrite history and to use history as an excuse for th for things done today. Uh, it, it, I don't think there are too many people who favor it, but yet it, it gets done, and I'm afraid they're going to do more. Right. Now, I, I have to ask you about the White House video. Did you see that Christmas video? I did not see it directly. I, I saw You've pictures heard about from it, it. right? I, I, I've seen pictures from it. Yeah, there's a lot of dancing. Yes, yes. That, that much I can tell you. There was a lot of dancing, and the music apparently was the Nutcracker, although I'd rather see other versions of the nutcracker that's not one that yeah that i want to spend a lot of time on but my goodness uh it, it what it, it's hard to, to imagine anybody approving that video i know you didn't see it but no i i saw it but i'm trying to figure out who approved this thing it has well, nothing, the, it's not about whole, christmas at all the whole thing is sickening it really yeah. is uh and uh the, i i mean they're there for the event itself and the misuse of the capital there should certainly be punishment there doesn't seem to be any in store uh there are sensitive issues of sexuality that uh i guess the democratic party doesn't want to deal with um and this is again uh, it's, it's unfair because of these have been two ordinary citizens as we found out on january 6th or about january 6th they'd, they'd be in prison and if that's punished this has to be punished that's right well let's there's been a lot of talk here recently, Bill. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. There's been a lot of talk that President Biden is pushing Israel to make a deal or to stop fighting the war. And I don't understand that because, uh, for one thing, I don't think Israel is going to listen to him. 
And and number two, why would President Biden want to say that? I mean, most Americans support Israel defending itself, Bill. Well, they do, except there's a left wing in the Democratic Party that does not. And I think he is trying to appeal to that wing of the party and to keep that wing of the party in line because there have been some threats from some of the uh, the, the, the fringe leftists that if he does not restrain the Israelis, he will lose the Muslim vote in Michigan. Uh, and Michigan is a key state. And, and apparently the polling is very close in Michigan. And apparently he, he is doing this, at least this is the political theory, to try to hold on to Michigan. Uh, I don't know... I, I, I don't know how true it is that the uh, Muslim community would turn against him, but uh, he is being threatened by Omar, you know, Ilan Omar, who is kind of the, uh, the, the uh, well, one of the leaders of the squad, very hard left group in Congress that is uh, basically Marxist. And he is, he is making appeals to Israel to basically get it over with fast. Uh, the point has been made, it's Israel that's fighting the war, and they are the ones who are taking the casualties. And I, I think they will, if not ignore him, they will stretch out his request as much as they possibly can. They are trying to destroy Hamas. I don't know if that's a realistic goal. I mean, that, that's a, it's up, up for debate. Uh, but they were attacked pretty viciously. And what we have to understand in this country is that every time we do something involving an ally, other allies are watching to see how reliable is the United States. We do not have a great record, by the way. We have a record that has been questioned many times that, in fact, in the early 1970s, there was a saying that the worst thing in the world you could be is an ally of the United States, that we always sell them out in the end. And that was a reference to the fact that we did leave Vietnam and leave behind the people who fought with us and basically left them to the enemy. Right. And it, it did not go down well with American allies who might have opposed the war in Vietnam, but basically knew that's not the way you treat an ally and treat the people you fought with. Well, here's another example. And allies will be looking. They know how close our relationship is with Israel. If we sell them out in the end, it's going to hurt our foreign policy all over the world. That's right. Well, Afghanistan was a recent example of that. I mean, we yes. left a bunch of, of people in Afghanistan. And in fact, I remember uh, one time a member of the British Parliament giving a speech, uh, basically remembering the bravery of many of the Afghan soldiers that he fought yes. with. Yes. And because, the, you know, the argument was that the Afghans didn't want to fight. And this British parliament member who had been in the army said, no, they wanted to fight. We didn't give them, or we didn't support them, but they, uh, they wanted to fight. But anyway, Afghanistan is the most recent example. And we left Built so much equipment. That's yes. the part that I never understood. A billion dollars worth of equipment, or even more. I think it was yes. ninety-five billion or something. Um, and we left very, very valuable equipment. We left behind translators who would work for us, who are now living in fear. Uh, and and it was just a complete mess. Uh, it was not necessary for it to be a mess. But again, other countries look at that, and now we have a situation even with Ukraine, where we may not be able to help them much more. Now here, there was not a question of, of Biden. It's a question of, of Republicans in Congress who are balking at helping Ukraine unless we also reform the border. I'm all in favor of reforming the border, reforming our border policies, but I, I 
do hope it does not prevent us from helping Ukraine as much as it needs to be helped. Because again, European nations are going to be watching. Is right. the United States going to pull out again? Now, the argument that some people are making, and I agree with you, we have to support Ukraine. But the argument that some people are making is that we keep giving them money, but there's no no strategy. It's almost like we're sending money. And at, at what point do we at least find out how the war is going? Yeah. And we don't, that's the argument that we don't know how the war is going. We hear that they're losing a lot of soldiers. The Russians are losing a lot of soldiers, but the Russians can afford to lose a lot of soldiers. I mean, yes. that's the reality. Much bigger. You, much bigger. Yeah. Army. And Ukraine doesn't have, the, so it's a tough call, but, but, but Bill, I do believe that something has to be done about the border. And maybe uh, this is one of those opportunities where the Republicans are saying, is this or never? Yes. Well, you make a very good point. And what's interesting about that point is that there are Democrats who say that, that Biden is going to sell them out. These are, the, again, the left-wingers. We're going to be sold out, and we're going to not vote for Biden in, in November. I, I guess the, uh, they, will, they will secretly uh, vote for Karl Marx or somebody like that, right in the name of Karl Marx. But that left wing of the Democratic Party is getting more and more powerful. <laughs> and and they're, they're, they're threatening Biden. The anti-Israel crowd is threatening Biden. And he knows that he needs these votes. Right. Well, it's interesting. You might be pleased to hear that Beto O'Rourke oh. came out yesterday and said that the, Repub the Democrats should not return to the failed policies of Trump on the border. I wasn't so aware that they failed. <laughs> well, nobody asked him that because yeah. he doesn't take questions. That's the thing about these people is they make statements, but they don't take questions. But Beto said that, and there's a couple of congressmen, too, in South Texas who are saying something similar. What, I, what they're basically saying is the racial profiling argument. That's the one that they're making, that, that all of a sudden the National Guard or the Border Patrol or the police is going to start violating constitutional rights. That's their basic argument. Uh, so, I mean, it's a crazy argument. Yes. But that's the one they're making. But I, you know, I thought for a while there that, that Beto O'Rourke had finally caught the message or gotten the message that nobody really cared what he has to say. Yes. But he decided uh, on his own yesterday to tell us what he thinks about this and uh, unsolicited advice, to say the least, Bill. The, the, the wit and wisdom of Beto, yes. who I, I understand is not really named Beto, but is, no. has his name something else. Robert want, F. Robert F. They wanted to make his name more Hispanic. And that was something to call him. I tell you something. It's, if it wasn't serious, it would be funny. Right. But, but Biden has, a you know, people laughed at Trump in 2016. They're, some of them are laughing at him again, saying he's too controversial to be elected. But the polls are showing that he has a very good chance of being elected. And the Democratic Party, of course, is... You, you, we're about to hear the movie stars threatening to leave the country. That always, that always goes with us. If he's elected, I'm going to leave the United States. And they never do because they want that seven-bedroom house, right. you know, that they're living in. Right. But, uh, but it, is, it is a remarkable situation because Biden is not popular with his own party. And he's obviously an impaired man who really, I think, 
Morally, he doesn't really have a right to run for president. Mm -hmm. Legally, he does. But morally, I think he should graciously step aside. The problem there being, of course, who do we get? But Kamala Harris, right. the queen of intellect. You know, <laughs> yeah, they don't have a lot of pretty options, uh, to say no. the least, and they don't have a bench, uh, as we've discussed before. But what I find interesting is that if you look, you know, everybody keeps looking at these Trump versus Biden head to head polls, and if you look at them, Trump is ahead right now by four or five points uh, overall, they're what they call the average, I guess. But I looked at, at the next level of polls, and that's the one that includes Robert F. Kennedy. Yes. And today, or the average of Robert F. Kennedy in these last couple of months uh, that they've put him in, is 13%. So that's, mm. that's somewhere, be, that's like George Wallace numbers, uh, it, it, to remember 1968. Uh, it's not quite Perot, because Perot got to 20 or 19 to 20, but... Yeah. But if you had 13, I mean, if on election day 2024, Robert Kennedy got 13% of the popular vote, that would be a crusher on Biden. I don't see how he recovers from that bill. I don't see how either. I, look, I, I think that when convention time comes around, if the polls are showing what they're showing now, uh, I think the Democratic Party will be in a real crisis. I mean, I, I, I you know, they, they can have the committee go to him, the usual committee. These people never die. They just run the committee and tell him, look, you know, we appreciate your service to the country, Joe, but it just isn't working out. Now, the the problem there is they don't have an obvious alternative. Nobody wants Kamala Harris. She, she'd get fewer votes than he would. And there is no outstanding. They don't have what they need. What the Democrats need is an Eisenhower, some some outstanding figure who the country could not resist and would be seen as a reconciling figure, somebody they trust, as was the case in 1952. There is no such American alive today. Right. We, we don't have that that class. That, that, that is usually produced by a war, you right. know, and then a, a great general. And, uh, and the, the Republicans, look, Eisenhower saved the Republican Party. Yes. And um, they don't have that person today. No, Gen I don't think of General Milley as uh, an Eisenhower no. type person. No, he is no. No. Well, he right. well he didn't have a great victory. Right. You know? Right. Exactly. And I think he got in trouble for other reasons too, I guess. Yeah. Uh for other reasons, but but uh you're right, that's what they need, but if if on election day those are the numbers, I you know, Trump could all of a sudden be competitive in New York. He could be competitive in Minnesota because I think a lot of those 13 would would more come from Biden. And that 13 could actually grow, Bill. Yes, uh, it can. As the, as the campaign goes on, because what you're seeing is a lot of dissatisfaction from Biden on the on everything. Yes. Uh, you may be familiar with uh, the governor of Arizona, very liberal Democrat who won that very contested election. She is now sending troops to the to border. To the border, yes. Yes, they look, they they are taking they're saving their own careers because they don't see anything in, in Biden's policies that are going to get him reelected. Uh, and I mean, all these cities around the country, which have had to take in illegal immigrants, the costs are just ghastly. They're in the billions and there is going to be resentment. Now, Trump can, Trump can destroy himself. We know that he's the most self-destructive man. And yet on the other hand, he has a base of support that will not budge.
Right. And at least he has that. And if he has a good vice presidential candidate, uh, he might squeeze it out. And I don't know what I can just imagine election night with all these liberal commentators, you know, they're going to have to go to the psychiatrist the next day. Because... Oh, they, 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 I think those appointments are made, you know, I, I mean, can you imagine the people at NPR? Right. I know. <laughs> well, it's funny, Bill, because today, a couple of hours ago, they invited me to a, uh, to a Spanish television station uh, it's not Univision, but it's in the family. It's a it's a newscast that they do, but they stream it. They don't air it like on a regular channel. So they invited me because they wanted me to know what I how I reacted to what President Trump said yesterday or the day before about illegals going into the bloodstream or something. Uh, I, I said to them, "Look, I think that was an awful choice of words." Yes, it was. I mean, I anytime I, you mention the word blood, you're in trouble. Right. So I think that whatever he was thinking or trying to say, it came out the wrong way. And then, and then they point out that Hitler wrote that uh, or something well, he, like that. Well, he, he talked about the purity of blood. Right. I, I, I don't think that, that Trump meant it that way. But no. he should have immediately apologized. And, but he never apologized. No. He never apologized to anybody. But what I told him was that, that, that I, I, I said to the host, that I would personally make a bet with you uh, in the best Cuban restaurant in Miami that Trump has not read Hitler's book. No, my Trump. That's, that's not Trump. He no. doesn't even write his speeches. But but I think it is it is part of what you're talking about, the self-destructive part, which he would say something like this, and it just comes out. And, you know, at some point, he's going to have to realize that when it comes out, it doesn't come out out of Vivek, you know, the the other candidate. Yes. It comes out, out of a man who could be in the Oval Office. Yeah, and a man who has been in the Oval Office. That's right. I mean, that this is, a, people don't realize how unique a situation this is. I mean, I think in American history, we have had, was it Grover Cleveland who did serve two terms, but not consecutively. But to have a guy who was defeated for re-election, running now again and might be back in the Oval Office. And what is amazing to me is he does, I, I, he is not making enough of his record as president, which was a good record. The, you know, if he would just go back to Ronald Reagan's, are you better off today than you were four years ago? And, and, and calm down a little bit and not attack everybody in sight, I think he could slide in. Well, and, and that's kind of what I told the, the, the moderator that he was interviewing me. I said... He asked me, how long do you think it's going to last, this, this, this scandal about what he said? And I said, it'll last as long as your wife has to go shopping for Christmas night food. <laughs> that's right. That's because right. the minute she goes shopping and she comes home screaming, that's the end of this topic. But you're right. I mean, I wish President Trump would talk more about his record, which was a very good record. Yes. And I instead of going off on all these exits... Yes, and uh, also remember, he's, he's a man in substantial legal trouble. That we, too. we haven't mentioned that. And while I think most of his, of his supporters believe that it was a setup and basically a legal construction that uh, would not have happened to anybody else and could be angry about it. You know, they asked the question on the, on the news programs, why does Trump's number go up every time he's, he's indicted for something else? It's that people are angry. They feel he's being abused. Uh, 
Right. But that could end at some point. If he's can actually convicted of a crime, maybe people will have a second. It, it, well, it will take a spot, four or five percent of the people who would say, you know. Well, I don't. now, of course, if the first if the first uh, conviction is in Washington D.C., yes. that may not matter much. Yeah, as people well, may it, see that as a, as it, you know as tainted. It may not, except that what, what all the television programs are going to be doing is saying, well, if he's elected president, does he does he have to serve his term immediately? I mean, they're going to go there. Look, the press is against Trump. They're going to ask every conceivable question that comes that comes up with the answer. He can't be president. Right. I mean, so so he's despite what the polls show today, he's still got quite a battle. Oh, he does. No, he does. And 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 I, by the way, speaking of Trump and the media. Uh, I, I'm not sure how I feel about Nikki Haley, but she was being interviewed by ABC News by Jonathan Carl, and he kept asking about Trump. And Nikki Haley says, "You people are exhausting. Yes, that's, that's all right. you do is ask about him. Yes, and you know I think a lot of Americans do feel that way. I do. Yes. Uh, well, look, he can't choose her because he's attacked her so viciously. I mean, it would be beneath her dignity to take." the vice presidency because of that fact alone. Although it's amazing what people do in politics, but he, he, he should certainly go for uh, someone who is uh, unique, someone who uh, will add to his ticket. Usually the vice president has no real effect on, on the vote. I mean, people don't actually vote for vice president, but if it's somebody special, it could work. Well, um, he needs somebody like Cheney, like Bush, at, brought Cheney in to bring some foreign policy credibility. That's what he needs. Somebody like that, a very serious person uh, that immediately everybody says, yeah, this is a serious person. Well, I and, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say one person who comes to mind for that job, uh, but he, he, it, he won't get it. And he, it's John Cornyn, Senator John Cornyn. Yes. Texas, uh, who I think would, would just immediately everybody says, "Oh yes, he's good. He's good. He's a good man. Yeah, he's talented." I'll uh, tell you. I'll tell you who wants yeah. the job, and that's Elise Stefanik, who uh, is the oh, one New York. Who, who of New York who wrecked those three college presidents. Yes. Okay. She was, she was. She was auditioning for vice president. Oh, okay. Well, that would be you now. She's. A, I don't know how old she is, but no, she's, she's old enough. I think. Oh, okay. All right. One and and this is one of the great tragedies. Uh, Unfortunately, politics sometimes creates these strategies. I think a man who would have been perfect for this would have been Mitt Romney. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, but a different situation. There's no way that Romney and Trump could get together. But then again, nobody thought LBJ and JFK could get together either. But but Romney would be such a... First of all, he's, he's prepared. He would be such a, a wonderful vice presidential pick but it's not going to happen, of course, for the reasons we know. But that's the tragedy of all of this is that that one person, I don't know who could that be. Now, the senator from North Dakota or South Dakota, John Toon, has a lot of experience. Yes. That would be a good one. Uh, the senator from Florida, Scott, I still think it should be DeSantis, but that's my choice. Uh, or, or it could be uh, Tim Scott of... Uh, uh, that would be a good choice, too. Somebody... Somebody, but it's got to be somebody that brings something to to or makes his base wider, you know, bigger. But that is so far ahead right now, Bill. That we'll worry about that next year. But every time I do a.
a show with you around Christmas time, I always bring up how beautiful New York is at Christmas time. And uh, I, I don't want to hear that they've destroyed it so much that, that they don't, that it's not beautiful anymore. It must still be beautiful, right, Bill? It is. I was in New York on Sunday. It was absolutely jammed. We went to see old friends. I mean, just uh, you couldn't you couldn't move. So the the city is still popular. The sad fact is, what happens after Christmas? I mean, uh, the, the the city is losing population, except for illegal immigrants. Uh, the um, the uh, attractions of New York are being broken. Uh, uh, businesses are closing. Businesses are leaving. And there's nothing good on the horizon. You know, no. we have a mayor who I think means well, but has very limited powers. He cannot seem to get any money out of the federal government. Uh, <coughs> I don't, they're already talking about the next mayoral election. And interestingly enough, the person they're talking about is Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> That's what I heard. I heard that, that they're yes. talking about Andrew Cuomo, who, would, would he even consider that bill? Apparently, he is considering it. He was thrown. He was thrown out as governor right, right. over a sex, a sexual harassment scandal. Uh, but if the numbers come up well in the polls, you know the the mayoralty of New York is almost almost always goes to a Democrat, except when Giuliani ran. Well, Giuliani has has gone crazy and he's in trouble legally, <laughs> so he's not available. But um, if 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 the right Republican ran and ran well, right, a Republican could be elected governor, a uh, mayor of New York under these circumstances. Oh, absolutely, like Giuliani was in, in yes. ninety two or ninety three. Well, Bill, let's wrap it up for for this holiday. Merry Christmas to you and to your family, and to you too. And if you see Santa Claus go by, he's probably rehearsing for Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street or. Or something like that. Uh, I just hope, for, for Joe Biden's sake, that if Santa goes by, he has an electrically powered sled. <laughs> well, the question is, can he recharge it? <laughs> yes. They haven't made that kind of charging station yet. No, because he's got to go all around the world. Yes. As yes. I know, because I, I follow him on NORAC, you know, the little satellite thing. Oh, sure. It follows Santa all across the world. And he would need one heck of a battery. He would, yes. <laughs> to get around, uh, just to go from New York to Philadelphia, you probably have to recharge. So, right. uh, But I want to thank you, as always, for joining us. And I want to wish you a very happy holiday. And we'll be in touch uh, the next time when I think we'll have a lot of issues to, we, we, to bring up. Because it's going to be, will. Yeah, as you say, it's going to be an exciting political season. Very. So thank you so much. And have a great day, Bill. My pleasure, and looking forward to next time. Sir. All right, and Merry Christmas to you again. And to you. All right. Our good friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda, not wrapping up. We still have another show this year, but uh, certainly wrapping it up before before the Christmas uh, holidays. A lot of good topics today with Bill. I thought his recollection of the Battle of the Bulge and, and Glenn Miller was always interesting. My father was a great fan of Glenn Miller, so that that's a subject that brings a few memories uh, for me. Merry Christmas. Everybody have a great week. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later.